Hello and welcome to the Delphian podcast. Delphian is an artist-led nomadic gallery focusing on emerging and early career artists. Each episode will feature a different art world practitioner, from artists and gallerists to collectors and curators. If you like today's episode, please like, share and subscribe. Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Delphian podcast. My name is Benjamin Murphy and with me is Nick J.S. Thompson. Hello. Today we're in the studio of painter Rhiannon Salisbury, who is the overall winner of the Delphian Open Call this year. All the judges were struck by her expressive, distorted works with their bright colours and intense subject matter. She's also shown at places like Cobb Gallery, Flowers Gallery and Jay Hammond Projects. Ooh. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? <laughs> Good. Yes. Nice to be here. Thank you for having us. Um, so let's dive right in. Why are you an artist? Oh. Um... Well, yeah, that's a good question to start with. Um, I think it took me quite a long time to realize that I was an artist as like my profession. So I tried quite a lot of things before I decided to commit full time to art. And yeah, like I guess it began. I I initially I did do an art foundation after school when I was 18. Um, Didn't get on very well with kind of what it meant to be an artist Um, at that point in time I found like the whole thing quite showy and I felt like the people who were doing well were the people who just knew how to like present themselves well and talk about themselves well and there wasn't really any focus on what work was being made Um, so I I went to university I studied English after that Um, and then literature yeah well English language and literature but the focus was literature um then yeah then I trained to be a lawyer realized like how hard you had to work to do well at something was making myself pretty unhappy and uh yeah my dad actually had like a big conversation with me and said like if you could do anything what would it be um and I realized that was like probably going to be drawing and painting so I found the art academy which is this amazing place in London Bridge and I started training be an artist and yeah I guess that happened quite late compared to most people around me but I'm so glad that I found that place and that it all started then yeah Mm. so it wasn't like you were always obsessed with painting um I was always obsessed with like I always had a pen in my hand and I was always doodling um whenever I was on the phone to my friends as a teenager like I would always be drawing, but they were kind of like scribbles. Um, and then when like when stuff happened in my life that was like difficult to deal with, the only thing I knew how to do was paint. Um, and that's when I would make paintings. But I didn't really think of myself like being like being an artist. I think the school I went to was very academic, and they used to say things to me like, "Oh, if you want to do anything apart from art, you know, you need to work harder or this." And it was like. Um, they kind of put it down a lot and it took a long time for me to feel like it was a valid thing for me to do as a profession. Well, this is mm. art school was putting it down. No, like my secondary school. Ah, okay, right. Um, I just felt like, yeah, it wasn't a real job and I had to, I don't have a lot of artists in my family. I don't come from that kind of background. So it wasn't something I'd considered at a young age of developing. Yeah. But mm. yeah, it was something I did. Um, and I think all my memories are very visual. So I can remember everything I made from a very young age. 
in terms of when I try and think back about my like education even from like the age of three or four like I remember making a kind of egg cup that was fluorescent yellow and had like a fluorescent pink bits on it for Easter one year I remember making a kite out of tissue paper I know what that looked like can't remember anything else about like (laughs) primary education but I know like everything that I made so I think the signs were all probably there looking back Mm. now but I just didn't understand what what that would be or that that was an option yeah yeah so your work is mainly drawn from found imagery um or a lot of it is um where do you find it and um and what do you look for when you're selecting the images yeah all my current work is responding to images from the media so that kind of comes in various forms like most often it will come from an advert that i've seen on instagram Mm. but also uh like it will come like i buy a lot of uh kind of high-end magazines like vogue and that was like initially to sort of make a political statement about what we're aspiring to Mm. and so sort of high-end culture and products but equally like if I see something in newspaper or uh, potentially even old photographs like they occasionally make their way into so I'll I'll go through like a library or an archive of images before I start a painting and I'll see which ones I'm responding to intuitively like my plans are very loose in the sense that it depends on my mood that day and what I'm responding to that day so I'll look through lots of things and then just take the one that uh, resonates with me for like a second or two longer without kind of overthinking it Mm. so if your works take a a political stance on something so say on the, the way people are presented in advertising imagery do you seek out imagery that fits that ideal or do you how does that process work yeah so I think when I started the body of work about the women in advertising it was probably more premeditated in that sense and I probably felt like it had to be more political I think as it's developed it's definitely getting less didactic or political and becoming a lot more about my internal landscape um and I think that the work is probably stronger when you're not trying to put a point across and when you let that kind of response come intuitively. So I'm trying to take that pressure away from it and just see like how I respond without trying to make it overtly have a message. And by default, it's always going to come up with something anyway. But yeah. Mm. But the meaning is more More emotional or symbolic. More open to interpretation, maybe. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I think when it was, you know, I've always said that they they should be open to interpretation anyway. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to force the viewer into a mode of thinking with them. I don't think that's possible either. But so are you subverting these imagery, or are you satirizing it, or are you deifying it, or are you distorting it, or I think all of those. Okay. Yeah. Um, because there is something that I'm attracted to in the imagery itself. And it's imagery that I've grown up with. And like it's meant to be alluring. But it's also meant to be kind of grotesque and disgusting. I definitely feel like it's satire because I'm responding to contemporary culture and the things that I feel pressured by or dislike. Um, so yeah, definitely all those four things are words I would use to describe the imagery. Mm. 
Your work, so they originally started off more politically sort of based. Do you think that um, artists have a duty to teach the world something with their work? <laughs> oh, that's a really interesting question and my thoughts about that oscillate. So sometimes I think that, you know, yes, like you have to be making political work and at other times uh, I think the complete opposite. I feel like the most important thing about painting is that it's like a genuine response from the artist and you're kind of a sponge for society and what you're absorbing around you anyway so like you're kind of acting like a mirror for your time um and I think for me when I have a really clear outset for the work that's when the work can uh become weaker I think mm. I think all all acts are kind of inherently political, but I think artworks should be less didactic and should be more open to interpretation. Yeah. There's a great quote that I've mentioned recently um, when I was interviewing someone, and it's a quote by JFK, and it's, art is not a form of propaganda, art is a form of truth. And I think that's very um, apt, and that's kind of how I view it. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. I think that's really well said. I think artworks that become propaganda are essentially more akin to design than yeah. they are to art, maybe. Exactly. And, um, yeah, along those lines, I feel that maybe it's a confidence thing because maybe for me when I felt like I have to, like, have this strong message with my painting, maybe I didn't feel like the painting by itself was, like, strong enough, whereas now I look... I just think about my favourite artists from, like, the history of art and... Who are they? Well, I've been looking a lot at um, Edvard Munch and he was one of my f like childhood favourites and now I've kind of come back to him this week like kind of obsessively. And like his work is so amazing because it has like a figurative basis um, which I'm interested in at the moment, but he's internalised and s like turned his uh, figurative elements into like an emotional kind of inner symbolic form that resonates with everyone who sees it like it's resonant well that's an assumption but they resonate with something kind of universal emotionally um and I, f I think he's really interesting as well because uh he has so many paintings of the same painting but they all like vary and the way I work is very similar like I will return to the same image like five six seven times potentially over a course of a few years so um, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by that and how you like internalize an image and make it your own. And then finally you m you're going to like arrive at something where it's kind of in its pure form for you. And hopefully that's going to resonate outwards as well. Mm. I think if I had to guess one of your inspirations, I probably would have guessed him. Yeah. His works are very expressive and they're, they're also kind of beautiful, but also kind of grotesque, like mm. you said a minute ago. And there's a lot of isolation in them which the more painting I make, the more I see or like people say about my paintings is one of the things that they respond to is like this sense of isolation in like a very like overpopulated world. Mm. So I think when I was conscious of like more, not the design or maybe the design or message, um, it was about how we're like all surrounded by people all the time, but there's lots of barriers that keep us like internal so you're the figures um you paint are often distorted 
to the point of kind of um, past recognition, what is the distortion intended to add or remove from the actual subjects that you're finding in magazines and then painting? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, my practice has gone from very figurative to purely abstract, back to figurative. And now I think it's sort of starting to be halfway in between. So this, the distortion is meant to sort of show that something's not quite right with these like beautiful women. Um, and also it's just about balancing the paint in the image for me. Like if I'm thinking about it in like abstract terms, just like, I guess that plays into it. And then I feel like when I have like a, a very full portrait, it's almost saying too much and taking away that space for interpretation. Like I want them to be a channel into the subconscious almost or take you into sort of a dreamland or like a, a hinterland, like a, a space beneath. So the distortion is just like aiming at that, I guess. It's not, it's just how I paint as well, I think. It's more fun for me. Mm. I'll start probably with a drawing that's very like realistic and then part of the fun of the process is getting to like distort that to something that is resonating with me in that moment. So it's kind of, yeah, it can be quite hard to decide when to stop with that because I don't have, I don't know how it's gonna look. And then I'll go like past a point where I'm like, oh, I should have left that. And you can obviously never really get it back. Yeah. Um, Do you struggle with that overworking paintings? Definitely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can just fight with them for so long and then I think you just have to let go and start again. Um, it's very rare for me to like be able to... Save one. Yeah. Once you've gone past that point. It How just will never look as good. Mm. How do you find the process of like starting again though? Is that, is it cathartic or is it, or do you struggle with mm. with scrapping work and, and oh, starting no, again? I, I don't, s I scrap a lot of work. I think it's really important um, to be able to throw things away. I think, yeah, like, Leo really disagrees with me, like, and a lot of people are like, no, don't, like, because I do throw so much away. But, um, yeah, it's cathartic to throw paintings that you feel haven't worked away. But then it's such a weird headspace because I might think something is terrible and then I could look at a photo or something six months later and be like, why have I thrown that away? It was actually <laughs> good. But I get so, like, in emotionally engaged with the work when I'm making it that I either like really love it or really hate it and then you know it will take a detachment period where I don't see it for a few weeks maybe even years for me to have like a different point of view um yeah it's hard to be objective with work that you're making or that you've just made for me just I think I'm, I'm the opposite I think if if a works if a work of mine is over a few months old I just really don't like it oh really yeah I don't, I, don't know yeah. why that, I don't know why okay. that is. <laughs> <laughs> I go through that too. It's, yeah, they're, they're weird things, artworks, because you just, yeah, there's a lot of emotion. You invest in them somehow, which, yeah, sort of surprises me. Mm. And also sort of linked with you in that moment as well. It's not yeah. like it could, your outlook on things could change within a couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of months, and then the whole meaning of the piece changes to you. Yeah. 
So the imagery you use is often advertising Im imagery, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and in that, essentially what's being done is the human form, mm. more often than not female, is being objectified as a tool to just sell a product. Yeah. So do you think that with your painting of that, you're, you're painting what is already an objectified image? Yeah. Are, are your paintings giving something back to those people and giving them a higher significance than just they are an object to be, to display a, I don't know, a watch on or whatever? Or how do you feel about the actual subjects of the paintings and what you're doing to them? Yeah. Um, so I don't think that when I paint a subject, I'm kind in my treatment of them. So I don't feel like I'm necessarily giving back to them in that way because they often become like very kind of ugly, disturbing portrayals of uh, some women. However, you know, like I'm giving them more of a personality and emotional life. And I think what I pick up on in these adverts is just the emptiness of the people so I'm I am trying to like highlight their their like people um what like I don't know how do you feel when you look at them am I allowed to ask you that like in terms of that question because um I don't see them as being advertising images anymore yeah I think you've distorted them past that point they're very far removed from the original yeah. source material aren't they yeah have you um, heard the, uh, there's a great Francis Bacon quote about why he rarely painted from sitters and he preferred to paint from photographs. And it's along the lines of um, basically, I don't paint from sitters because of the intense disservice I do to okay. my subjects, <laughs> which I think is quite interesting. <laughs> so yeah. I was wondering, do you, would your approach to painting and would the paint paintings differ mm. if you were painting people you knew? I started off painting people I knew. Uh, yeah, and obviously they weren't very flattering <laughs> images, but like people didn't really mind that. I think the reason I have, I prefer to work from uh, photography is that when someone is sitting in front of you and you're responding to them, there's like a psychodynamic space that is created. And like as a painter, I'm absorbing that and putting it into the work. And what I want with the paintings I make is for me, like as an artist, to just be moderating the image. Like yeah. it's about it's about this kind of two D visual material that is like proliferate um, and empty. Yeah, and empty. So it allow it's just it's less distracting for me to just have like a photo and me, and then I'll make a drawing from it, and then I'll actually put that photo away, and I'll just be responding to have like kind of a memory of that image and what's going on in my head at the moment. But it's very demanding to work from life because you're always being challenged by the energy of the other person in the room and it's harder to kind of escape reality and go into that sort of trance-like space where you're just like manipulating pain um, and channeling an idea or an impression. So for me, that's why I do that. And like I will paint photographs of people I know, but I'd prefer to paint them from a photograph than from life. I teach like life painting and life drawing. Um, so I'm very aware of that as a practice. And like, you know, if I have moments where I'm not teaching in the class, I'll sketch from life and 
I think that's really important to inform the other work I make. But uh, when I'm in the studio, it's not what I enjoy to do. Should we talk about Guy Debord? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, have you got quotes you can read? I do have quotes that I can read. Um, so, Rhiannon is doing a solo show with us uh, because of winning the 2019 Delphian Open Call. And um, a lot of what you're researching and a lot of what's inspiring what you're making is the Society of the Spectacle. Mm. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about why that is relevant to what you're doing and how it's informing the work? Yes, it might help if I can see some of the... I can't quote it from memory, unfortunately. But I think it's the first chapter of the... Oh, yeah. It's the first chapter that has really kind of struck a chord with me. And it's something I read probably four years ago. Um, and I feel like it's just predated Instagram perfectly. And I'm pulling off a lot of material from like Instagram. And the way he talks about like the mediation of images and like our life experience being based on images and kind of becoming this. Because when did he write? Is it 1969 he wrote this? 67 maybe 67 um it's it's a bit like that book 1984 by george orwell where he just kind of predicted big brother and how our society would look i feel like this does the same thing for social media um so yeah shall we read some quotes from it yeah so this one then shall i read it yeah second one you've got down the spectacle is not a collection of images it's a social relation between people that is mediated by images. Um, so the question that leads on from that is, as your role um, is that of an image producer, what is your responsibility to society um, in how you select and present these images? So I'm taking images that put pressure on people, um, like without being really didactic about what advertising is and does, because I think we all know that. Like There is, even though you're like, a sentient being and you know that there's like a message that they're trying to sell a product and whatever um there is still like a subconscious pressure for us to be a certain way because Absolutely. of this stuff that we're seeing like advertising all the time. works yeah um so i'm just trying to like reclaim that and be like this is gross and you know these people this there's ugliness in it and it's okay um and I guess that's where the satire comes in. So I, I was a big fan of Hogarth when I learned about him. And I love um, Ensor. And I think what they do is kind of pull out this, yeah, just like this kind of ugliness in mass, mass like gatherings of people or mass thinking. Um, so I think for me, representing imagery that's already like everywhere. Uh, it's just questioning it a bit and having a bit of fun with it and it's quite empowering for me to do it. Do you, do you see your work as satire though? I do partly, yeah. Yeah, you, you're not sure about I don't that. Know. Well, no, I don't know, it's like... <laughs> Maybe sp- the new ones are more um, empathetic. Yeah, yeah. I think there's some sort of, there's more humanity behind them almost, I think, and like... There's a lot th- of sadness, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. I think maybe it's because you're satirizing the 
the institutions of like advertising, but you're not satirizing the actual people within yeah, the works. Yeah, really possibly. Good way. Yeah. 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 That's a good way to put it. So obviously, as your work is um, referential to the way in which women are presented um, in the vernacular imagery of our time, do you? Obviously, there could be two readings of your work. Mm. You could be venerating these images and these people, or you could be distorting them because they're because you disagree with how these women are objectified. How do you feel about? because your work is fairly open to interpretation, if people read it in the way that you didn't intend it? So if they think that you're celebrating. Yeah, this. I think that, yeah, I get most upset when people are like, oh, it's really beautiful. And they don't get that it's meant to be a bit ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, damn it, I failed. <laughs> and maybe that's where the um, abstraction is coming into play more and becoming more useful for me. Um, because definitely like with the earlier ones that would happen sometimes. Um, and it's hard because I do want them, I want them to lure people. I think with work I was making last year, I really wanted it to be like attractive and then for it to take a while for that unsettling feeling to kick in. And then, you know, your viewers have to be engaged with the painting enough for that feeling to then develop over time. Um, I think, yeah, like the last few months, the work has become more disturbing. Um, but maybe that's just me kind of intuiting more emotion into the work. And, you know, you go through like phases as a painter where sometimes you're like more intellectual about what you're doing. And then other times you're just like very engaged with it. And I think that depends on what's happening in the world around you or your personal like life. And if there's a lot going on in my personal life, like I will be kind of throwing a lot more uh i guess emotion into the painting because i need to get it out without thinking about it uh whereas if everything is like fine and like happy then maybe like yeah the work uh can almost become more like design based so it depends on yeah the world like what's going on back to the site of the spectacle <laughs> no i've got <laughs> Another quote written down that I really wanted to bring up, and I haven't actually written a question for it because I wasn't quite sure, but I think it's come to me now. So, um, wherever representation becomes independent, the spectacle regenerates itself. So, apologies for how combative this may sound. Mm. It's not intended that way. Um, through kind of creating these representations, are you not complicit in the, the idea of the spectacle? Hmm. Yeah, I guess I am in a sense. Um, and I think that kind of is linked to the process of me working from these images as well, because I'm not saying like it's all wrong. And like there is stuff like, you know, like if I see like a beautiful uh, dress or something, I'm not like, oh, that's disgusting. I would never engage in buying that. And like I do, like I... I'm part of this consumerist culture. Like I buy the products. I aspire to look like some of the women sometimes. Like I'm not totally devoid of that. So yeah, like it, it, it's all this circle. Um, Is it, would it be possible for any of us, even not image makers, to be kind of divorced from that and not be complicit in it? Probably not. Yeah. Because even if you take a very like left or 
liberal stance where you you know totally disengage yourself and go and live in a commune or whatever it is like it it's still a react I don't know if you can ever truly be devoid of something we're all part of this like you're always reacting against something mm. so and therefore you're part of that thing um so there's a question that we've been using uh, a few times now to sort of end things with and it's uh, quite an open question um what quite a nice one yeah what, what would your one piece of advice be to give to a young artist who's just starting out to all of those listening right now oh yeah so much advice <laughs> Does, <laughs> doesn't have to be just one yeah bring it on <laughs> well i think the hardest thing is to develop your confidence as an artist and i think when you start you have like a really like intuitive voice and then you go through the process of education and that gets challenged again and again um and for me i felt like and i see it with my students that i teach now that kind of initial mark making that comes out when you're learning how to draw or paint is very embarrassing and you hate it and you want to hide it but that's probably like the most valid and interesting thing about any work you're ever going to make um so i think just believe in that. Don't take like seven years to believe in that, which is what <laughs> happened to me. Um, don't think you have to like be like everyone else because yeah, like it's important that you learn skills. I think that is really important, but also like that kind of naked handwriting that you have, that is, that's kind of the core of what your art will be about if you become a visual artist. The paintings of Da Vinci are incredibly beautiful, but art schools and exhibitions would be very dull places if everyone just painted like Da Vinci all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I think that's what's frustrated me the most is just learning to believe uh, or leave the work at a kind of raw, raw state. And that's what I'm really focused on now is just do it, leave it, walk away from it. And, you know, if it's ugly and embarrassing, that probably means it's good. <laughs> well that is a great thing to end on I think <laughs> so thank you Rhiannon for having thank us in your studio you. and thank you guys getting involved in the podcast woohoo <laughs>